when you use that word flexible and just what we're, we're talking about here, and you said, you know, Karen, the West is shifting. It seems as if a lot of times in media coverage, what you'll see on social media, people are left with a false dichotomy when it comes to the West. Either it's all terrible and needs to be burned to the ground, or it is completely Christianized and everything needs to be preserved. And church history would tell us that neither is right. How do we preserve the the best parts of the cultural legacy that have been bequeathed to us through Christianity in the West while being flexible? It helps me to look at the kingdom line of the people that God is keeping from Genesis to Revelation. He created a people for himself to worship him. That's, you know, what is man's chief end, right? Uh, and he has promised by himself not because he knows we can't keep the promise. He's promised by himself to somehow get us all the way to Revelation, a saint, this same people that he has created to worship him. And uh, so here we are in the nasty now and now, uh, working towards the sweet by and by. And the question for me becomes not so much where are the institutions and uh, the, the institutions that ossified and had cultural compromise and failed miserably um, at, at you know, making sure that you know, their ethics and their epistemology matched, uh, matched with what God you know, says is the kingdom, where are those people who were closer to doing it right? Clo not perfect. Because Jesus, if you think about you know, the Christian life as a bullseye, you know, only Jesus is in the center. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But then you have, throughout history, you have all these people who named the name of Christ who were closer to the center of the bullseye and left less toxic waste for the next generation. <laughs> and then there were people that named the name of Christ who were further away and left a whole lot. So my question has become, how do I be one of those people that was closer how do I live like the people who came before me and passed me the kingdom ball that I'm now supposed to pass to the next generation with an understanding that we are, we are not just a counterculture. I always struggle with that term, counterculture. The church is not a counterculture. The church is an other cultural reality, other cultural, other political altogether based on a different set of cultural values that are defined by the person of Christ and the order of his universe, um, other political based on the life, death, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ, and based on uh, the politics of his kingdom. You stick any of us in any of the sociological boxes, Randy, you were referencing earlier, something of us is going to stick out because we don't fit here. We are a different people altogether. And so how do we be a part of that kingdom line? Because they're there. You can go back in history. We just haven't, we haven't, you know, lionized them and built their theology into our curriculum and seminaries, you know, but those people are there. So I've been going back, trying to rediscover those people. Say, so what were you guys doing? How did you do what you did? What kind of, how did you send to me this kingdom ball? And how do I carry it and pass it forward through discipleship, through community, through my ethics? How do I, and I know that knowing that I fail all the time, but thank God for his grace and his mercy. 
how do I pass a better kingdom ball forward to the next generation? I think part of it comes from understanding that mm -hmm. we're capped um, mm -hmm. and that we are a set-apart people. Mm. Um, you know, your community in London is part of a historical people. Mm -hmm. It's a historical line. Yeah. Um, it's also a contemporary line that's going on around the world. Mm. And, um, yeah, the extent to which we find ourselves and keep ourselves, um, you know, through our practices, through our the communities that we create mm. in the ancient story, check our idols, dash mm. down our idols when they come up, because they're going to come up. Mm. They take on different personalities and masks in every age, but it's the same stuff over and over and over again, mm. right? Same dictators, same, yes. <laughs> same yeah. you know, same politics, right, mm. you know. Um, and uh, the extent to which we reclaim that ancient story continually for ourselves, remind ourselves who we are, mm. uh, is the extent to which I feel like we're able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. People have done it. People have done it. <laughs> <laughs> They've done it. You just hearing that point, Karen, one, you know, one of the things that you just reminded me of is, is I have the privilege of ministering in London. You know, we, we talk about today reconciliation and we, we talk about the issues of the hour, the, the issues of the hour. Around the corner from the church I minister in is um, St. Mary Woolnoth, which was the church that John Newton pastored, mm -hmm. and William Wilberforce was a member. Mm. And sometimes you can feel like you're the first generation who are thinking through issues, and you know, a lot of the millennials say in our congregation are passionate about justice issues. And there was a generation before, yeah. in their own day, with, yes, their, fault, their, 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 their warts and all, but men who, because of the gospel, because of kingdom values, mm. who, who also had both orthodoxy and orthopraxy in their age and were, were trying to figure it out. And then across the road, right across the road from where our church meets, was a, is a pub. Um, and in that pub, John Newton met with uh, a few other pastors. Uh, and the, the notes of the, their discussions have been published in a book, The Eclectic Society. And these men were discussing how can we um, retrieve things from our rich history, our liturgy, our uh, theology so that we can shape and form the minds of our Christians. Mm -hmm. And that's just a huge reminder that we don't need to burn down everything, forget everything in our past. Even th in their own generation, they were retrieving things from their past so that they could build in their own contemporary age. Um, I think it's, you know, Gabe, there's always that temptation, isn't there, because of the polarized culture we live in. You're, you're faced with this option of do we just burn down the institutions? You know, everything was wrong in the past. Or, and, we, and we're the pioneers. We need to build. And I think one of the, the things about the Christian faith is we are rooted in this ancient people and we are receiving the baton. And we need to look back with great admiration and we can look back with uh, that, that sort of discerning eye and the failings and faults. But it's good for our own self-examination as we seek to go forward and minister mm. our age. You know, I was reading in my devotions this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And there's a question that comes up. This ought to be a good sermon. I mean, I, I need to write this sermon. But the question is, why couldn't we do it? And it's the story of when a man brings his son who's demon-possessed to Jesus. And he says, you know, the demon comes upon him. He throws him in the fire. He throws him in the water. Um, and the father is just terrified for his son and he 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 said i brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything and jesus uh, it's like a, one of those moments of exasperation for jesus 
And he says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I going to put up with you? You know, and it's like, whoa. Um, and then the disciples say, well, why couldn't we do it? And he says, oh, you of little faith. And I do think, you know, when we say, as we pass it on to the next generation and we face these obstacles, I think it's the same question. I think, you know, how are we going to get the church to respond the way it ought to? How are, am I, as a Christian, going to respond the way I ought to? And I, it, it's like I come up to Jesus and say, how come I can't do it? And I think he gives us two points. And he says, faith, and you twist it. And trying to understand, what does that mean? You know, and I do think it means that our priorities are twisted. I think it, it means uh, we don't see the kingdom clearly. We don't have a kingdom agenda. We all have personal agendas. You know, we, we often make fun of the prosperity gospel, but I do think in the Presbyterian Reformed faith, we have our own version of that, which is a life of security and affluence and education, almost moving to elitism. That's our prosperity gospel. And, and we then say it's because God blessed us, you know. But I do think it's a life of twisted priorities where if our life was untwisted, it seems to me Jesus could simply say, sell all you have and follow me. And we say, okay, simple. Yeah, I can do that by your grace. But, you know, to have the kind of faith of a mustard seed so that we could move mountains into the sea, Whoa. I mean, we have this incredible opportunity with all this trauma in the world and pain in the world. And, and, and sometimes it's not trauma from a war. Sometimes it's just chronic poverty trauma, you know, uh, or tra trauma from uh, oppression over a long period of time. But getting untwisted and believing, that's where the power is. First Takes is produced by First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our theme music was written and recorded by Wes Breedlove. Our sound engineer is me, Dylan Thomas. Our host is Dr. Gabriel Fleur. S.K. Van Pufflin is our executive producer. And for more information about First Presbyterian or our ministries here, visit our website at 1stpresbyterian.com. <laughs>